0: Grab your Bibles and open them with me to Genesis 34. You know, I, um, I really don't want to read you this story, but not because it's so long, but because there's women and children in the room. Um, you may have noticed my, um, my sermon title. After I read this, you're going to know why. You know, Steve Brown used to say, the Bible doesn't say many things, but uh, the things that it says, it says them quite frequently. And, and I would like to add, it says them in numerous different ways. You know, some people learn better by or through watching successes. Successes. For others of us, this story is for us. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Genesis 34. You follow in your copies. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, He seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor saying, get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in front, had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it. And the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing must not be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes and whatever you say to me I will give. Ask me for a great bride price and gift, as, as you will, and, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully, because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to him, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that you may become as we are by every, by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter, and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now, he was the most honorable of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it, for behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters, only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become our one people. When every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised, will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with this with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of, the, of his city." On the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city. Because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field. All their wealth, all their little ones, and their wives, all that was in the houses they captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few. And if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I will be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, oh, my friends, that endures forever. You know, when I read a story like that, um, as most of you know, we're, we're trying to work through the book of Genesis. When I read a story like that, my first, my first response is, Oh no, how am I going to talk to God's people about all that's in that story? I mean, yuck. I mean, there's rape. There's a genocide. Deceit. The uh, abuse of a covenant sign. I mean, this is just yucky. And um, uh, I, I also wonder, why in the world would the Holy Spirit want to include that story um, in this book? I mean, um, what possible good could come out of you and I reading a story about biblical heroes, where they um, they do this kind of thing, and so my my initial reaction is I just skip that one, and and you know, guys, we haven't gone through every chapter in Genesis, but in fact, we're going to skip chapter thirty six because it's a chapter full of genealogies. But but I, I had this conscience about skipping um, and almost implying to you. That there's portions in the scriptures that just aren't, just aren't necessary for you. I mean, just stay away from those. So, I come back to my desk and I say, "Okay, what could possibly be the mind of the Holy Spirit in including a chapter like this?" And I can always come up with my old standby. My old standby is this, guys. Um, th- this is, and, and, and I'm not saying this is not true. It is true. But my old standby is this. Uh, only a book that is dedicated and determined to give you the truth would tell you a story and give you details about our heroes like this. That is, details like this. Ladies and gentlemen, Jacob is a patriarch. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's the one whose name became Israel. Israel. And we are being told a story in here about him and his family that is downright embarrassing. I mean, I don't know whose family looks worse in this story. I mean, is it Hamor's family? Did you notice that thing about Shechem was the most honorable man in, in the whole family of, of Hamor? Well, Shechem's the one that raped Dinah. <laughs> and he's the most honorable? But then Jacob? Jacob... Um, I mean, very honestly, in my opinion, the one that looks the worst in this whole story is the one that should have known the most, Jacob. And I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, it's only a book that is determined to tell you the truth that would give you information about information like that about the heroes. Um, I mean, if it was of human origin and it had a human agenda, that is this book, then it would try to hide these things from us. And only tell us those things that would um, make the heroes really stand out and, and us, you know, just applaud them. You know, I think we would all like to believe that after Peniel, you know, that's where, you know, he wrestled with God and got the lost. We would all like to believe that after that, Peniel or Jacob went on to live a life of abject spiritual heroism and wasn't that wonderful. Yay, yay for our side. Well, it didn't happen. The uh, Peniel story took place in chapter 32. This is chapter 34. <laughs> and Jacob is pulling stunts like this. By the way, did you notice who was out there murdering? A guy by the name of Levi, one of the sons of Jacob. Does that ring a bell? Levi? Well, I mean, uh, it was his family that became the family of the priests and uh, the Levitical priesthood and that Ugh. So my old standby, ladies and gentlemen, is simply this. A, um, a book that is determined to give you the truth. Only a book that's determined to give you the truth would tell you stuff like that. So I'm saying that one of the ways that you and I... And guys, that kind of information is, is, is counterproductive to the cause. unless Unless the cause is truth. Unadulterated. Unmitigated, pure truth. That's, that's the only kind of book that's trying to build a religion that would tell you this story like that. Now, um, so that's my old standby. But what else might be in here that could be a profit to us? Well, there's several things that I think that might be. I'm going to mention two real quickly and then I'm going to concentrate on one. There's a couple of things that I that I thought you should see in the, in the story. Um... For instance, did you notice the um, the apathy on the part of the father, Jacob? If you look at verse 5, Jacob is told about the rape of his daughter. And what does he do? <laughs> nothing. He does nothing. Why did he do nothing? I don't know. Um... I can tell you this, in verse 30, if you look at verse 30, I'm not sure of this, but it seems to suggest that the only thing that Jacob seems to be concerned about is, oh my, I'm in trouble. I mean, they've got bigger armies than I've got, and the parasites are going to hate us. And I mean, there's never a mention of, my daughter has been raped here. I mean, what's the matter with this guy? What's the matter with this father? I don't know. I don't know, but I can I can tell you that his sons are enraged, and um, maybe uh, guys' fathers. What maybe one of the lessons that we ought to learn is that there is a very high price to pay for paternal indifference. That is, fathers who shut down because the issues are so complex boy aren't they isn't raising a family difficult isn't intersecting with your daughter's life isn't that hard it is it's very hard and so some of us instead of willing to invest ourselves in that complex procedure of helping our daughters and our sons through these matters we take a a, a path that is less difficult it's called apathy or indifference. You know, I've said this before. But you do know, ladies and gentlemen, don't you, that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. You know, um, couples who come into my office from time to time because their marriages are struggling, bless their souls, but um, they, they come in there and the, the, the couples who are arguing are not the couples that are in the greatest danger. It's the couples where one of the spouses has just shut down. They they've become indifferent. And so that's one of the things that I, I I think you see in this story is the 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 high price that will be paid by families where a father abdicates or um Or just somehow becomes indifferent to what's going on in his family. Can a father watch a daughter be raped and do nothing? Well, this one did. And as a result, I think his sons, well, I think his sons are demons anyway, but his sons are enraged. And I think part of their rage is the result of watching their daddy do nothing. So, my brother and sister in Christ, all I'm saying is that one of the lessons that you might want to discover out of this very seamy chapter, you know, in fact, <laughs> you know, you read the the playbook on Friday mornings. Do y'all get that in the commercial appeal? You know, the playbook it tells you about all the movies on there, and the the it'll it'll rate the movies. And and uh, and I was looking at this one Friday, and there's one the the Blood Diamond that is out there, and it says it says it's rated R for graphic violence and strong, uh, suggestive sexual content. (laughs) So that pretty much removes that movie from my list of must-sees. But then I turn to the Bible, and I find a scene of graphic violence and strong, suggestive sexual content. But I'm saying, guys, that one of the lessons that you might want to find in this R-rated story is the cost that you're going to pay, the cost that your family's going to pay for a father who abdicates, a father who shuts down, a father who is not willing to get his hands dirty and to get into the fight. Indifference makes a lot of difference. So that's not something that you want to emulate, I don't think. There's a the second thing here, really, gosh, it's kind of a, a secondary issue. We're going we're gonna to spend some time on the, on the major, but this is another secondary issue. It has to do with the insanity of revenge. Did you notice that in there, guys? Um, the exponentiality exponentiality of revenge. Here's what happens. This woman is raped, and so in response to the rape, these guys murder an entire city. Have you have you noticed how much that's going on in the East right now? I had a news article, and I, and I left it in my office. I, I meant to bring it with me. It was uh, in the paper about a week ago about the uh, the Sunnis in Iraq, Iraq. The Sunnis, who are the minority people in, in Iraq, um, blew up a couple of bombs, and they killed, gosh, it seemed like it was 54 people. And uh, this was about 10 days ago, and so uh, that was the Sunnis doing this to the Shiites, and so the next day, I mean, the headlines are something like, um, revenge escalates or something like that. And, and the next day, the Sun, the, the Shiites went to one of the Sunni mosques and the worshipers that were filing out, they doused them with kerosene and lit it. Did y'all read that? I mean, I didn't make that up. I, I, I guess I'll have to go get my news article for the next service, but. I mean, it's, it's the insanity of revenge. It is, start here, we're going to go there, and then where does it stop? I mean, what's, what's worse than dousing your, your enemies with kerosene and lighting it? You know, guys, um, there is a, there's a principle in the scriptures about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You know that? It's called Lex Talionis. But, I mean, the, the, the non-Christian world still stops at that principle, an eye for an eye and a tooth. Oh, you Christians, you just got this angry God, this angry God that, that just wants to extract a pound of flesh. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you can insert yourselves into the 21st century Iraq, lex talionis, or an eye for an eye, was intended to limit the, re- the reaction to crime. The, 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 the thrust of it was, an eye only for an eye. That is, if he punches that, the only thing you get is an eye. It was inserted into the culture to try and limit the kind of response to, to, to ugliness and to crime. Gang, um, one of the things that I remember from my, my, um, my Budapest experience, that three months in Budapest is that Susan and I had a, um, had a lunch one day with this guy by the name of Dragon. His name was Dragon. And he was Serbian. And I don't know whether you remember all the atrocities that were committed in the Balkans in the late 90s. You know how that ultimately came, and it came to an end? It was our president sending our bombers over there to bomb those people. And um, And I'm sitting across from one of these guys, and I'm saying, what do you feel about an American whose country just sent their, their air force over there and bombed the dickens out of you? His response was interesting, but the point is, there, there is a very interesting book that was written, uh, recently by, the guy's name is Miroslav Wolf. And it's called, um, Exclusion and Embrace. And in that book, uh, he's talking about all the atrocities that were committed in the Balkans. In the late 90s. And he says the only remedy for the insanity of revenge is the belief in a God of judgment. You see, our our skeptical friends out there are saying, Oh, you Christians, you just got this God of wrath. And this guy is saying, if that God doesn't exist, the God who can and will balance the books, if he doesn't exist... Then I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands. And I'm going to have to balance the books. So what he's saying is, it is our Christian God. The one that you and I believe in, the one that that will that that promises to balance the books and will, it's, it's that belief that can ultimately put an end to revenge. Well, all I'm saying is, guys, back too is is one of the issues in chapter thirty-four. One of the um, one of the lessons that you might want to learn. But here's the one that I want you to concentrate on. Here's the one that I want us to spend our time on. About this story. It's this. Don't ever confuse justification and sanctification. Did that thrill you? I mean, oh, that rings a bell, Jimmy. Uh, you know, for you theological types, you, you probably know what I'm what I'm saying, but let me see if I can make it simpler. Don't ever confuse becoming a Christian and living the Christian life. Don't confuse those two. one of those works is a perfect work. it's never added to it's never changed. but that other work don't ever don't ever confuse the work of God in justification and the work of God in sanctification because those are those are two entirely Different things, guys. Don't ever ask perfection of converted people. And don't ever be surprised by the failures of converted people. You know, guys, uh, saved people can act like donkeys. Can't we? Um, we all wish that that weren't so. We wish that wasn't true about us. But it, but it is true about us. Given the right set of circumstances, we can all come tumbling down. Put in a, in a, in a setting where we have neglected our souls perhaps and, and there are certain strong temptations afoot, we can all come tumbling down. Coming to Christ doesn't result in some kind of earthly perfection. And so, you shouldn't be surprised when you see imperfections in each other. Guys, One of the great uglinesses, I think, in the Christian church that exists in the Christian church today is that we're so hard on each other. You know, you've heard this statement before about Christians are the only people who shoot their own wounded. You know where that came from, don't you? You know who first said that? That would be Madeline Murray O'Hare. Who, in her assessment of us, <laughs> those Christians, oh, they're wonderful to each other. They're the only ones that shoot their own wounded. We do, don't we? We can never confuse the work of God's grace in justification, which is a perfect work, and the work of God's grace in sanctification. Because from the day that I received Christ, I entered a battle, just like you. I entered a battle alongside you against the world of flesh and the devil. And each one of them got their, their certain kinds of temptation that comes along with them. And from time to time, not just one time, but from time to time, in that battle, I lose horribly. Whoa, Jimmy, boy, <laughs> we're, I'm certainly glad to hear you say that. <laughs> yes, sir, because I thought, you know, you've been such a you know, mean guy. You would never say something like that. I sure am glad to hear you say that because, uh, you know, Jimmy, uh, uh, we Christians, we sure can live shabby Christian lives, uh, can't we? And, you know, but, you know, uh, but, yeah, but that doesn't mean that we're not saved because really our, our, our failures, they, they don't mean much anything. Wait a minute. I didn't say that. (laughs) I'm not trying to suggest to you, oh, we all fail. Great. It's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay when we fail. We do. But it's not okay. And if you want to see that in spades, just read my story. Actually, it's not mine. Just read Genesis 34 again. Let me show you what I mean. Guys, those failures of God's people matter a whole lot. And in some of them, some of those failures of God's people, in some of them, we're not the only ones who get hurt. Our whole family gets spilled on. Here's my point. What you read, what I read to you in Genesis 34, that rape and that genocide and that murder and all that business, it all could have been avoided if Jacob had been where God told him to be in the first place. Gang, he's in Shechem. Chapter 33, verse 18 says that's the land of the king. He wasn't supposed to be in Shechem. He's supposed to be in Bethel. Bethel is 20 miles from Shechem. God told him to get up, leave Laban, get on over to, um, you know, I want you over at Bethel. But that's not where Jacob went. He went to Shechem. And that whole scene would have been avoided. If he had just been where he was supposed to be, and because he wasn't, his whole family pays a very steep price. Can we talk? Have you ever been someplace where you weren't supposed to be? And as a result of being there, something happened. And that something has spilled on your whole family. And if a thing, an event... That could all have been avoided if I had just been where God told me to be. Yes, I, I, I'm telling you that as a result of our failings, ladies and gentlemen, as the people of God, we do not lose our salvation. Yes, I am saying that. And I hope you hear that. I hope if you're in the midst of having one of those great moral earthquakes uh, in your own life, that you will hear me say, that doesn't mean that you're lost. But I hope you also will hear me say, the consequences of that moral failure can be awful. That's what you see in this story, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just trying to take the story and make it some kind of relevant way to you. And here's a man who didn't do what God told him to do. And as a result of his not doing what God told him to do, this event takes place. And this event takes place that spills all over his family. And by the way, it was interesting that it was Simeon and Levi that murdered. But we're told in verse 27, the sons of Jacob came because they had defiled this, And they plundered the, the slain. <laughs> so the two boys who did all the killing, Simeon and Levi, but the other 11 uh, the other uh, nine, oh, what they did is they just went over and plundered everything. What a fine family you got there, Jacob! You got some godless boys, Jacob. But that could have been avoided if you had just been where you were supposed to be, and no place else. Now, one other thing that I'm done. There's a lot of Jesus in this in this passage, Jesus. Really? Where? I didn't see him. Well, um, I want to suggest to you that there's a couple of ways that you could find Christ here. But let me just mention one real quickly. But I've got to skip ahead a little bit. If you'll notice in chapter 35, God said to Jacob, arise and go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared before you when you fled from your brother. So Jacob and his household and all were with him. Put away the gods. We're going. Here's my point. As a result of what you see happening in chapter 34, for the first time in in our experience with Jacob, finally, 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 he's ready to obey. It's like, this is what my disobedience has caused? I mean, we just murdered a whole city and the surrounding villages? this is what i've done this scorched earth my family did that okay it's time to obey and guys um you do know don't you that obedience is a wonderful thing and it's 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 the same thing and and i I hope that you will love obedience because disobedience is your greatest enemy. But um, obedience, divorced from Jesus Christ, is nothing more than moral reform. And moral reform will damn you. Moral reform is religion, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm not not here to tell you about religion. I'm here to tell you about a gospel of grace. Moral reform is self-salvation. But finally, when I learn how broken I am, that's the thing that pushes me to Christ. And that's what I think took place here. When Jacob finally saw, oh my goodness, this is what I have wrought. There ain't, a, there ain't enough obedience in the planet to save me. And my only hope is in the ultimate son of Jacob, whose birth we're celebrating. That's one thing that I think you could, where you could find Jesus. There's one other thing, and I'm I'm done. If you will look at verse 8, which is really, I hope you don't miss this. I hope I handle it well enough for you to get it. But when, when, when Shechem decides he wants Dinah for his wife, he goes to his daddy and says, Daddy, get me that girl. And so his daddy's name is Hamor. And in verse eight, Hamor spoke with them. That is, Hamor calls this meeting. Hamor calls a meeting with uh, Jacob and the boys and uh, says, now listen here. You know, um, we, um, we, uh, we, we want to settle in with you people and, and we kind of like what's going on here. And, um, and so therefore, uh, what we'd like is to, for you to allow, um, your sons to marry our daughters and our daughters to marry your sons. And, and uh, you know, just, we just want to become one people with you guys. By the way, in this bargaining table meeting that you see here going on in verse 8 and following, never once is the rape mentioned by either party. <laughs> what they're saying is, um, you know, we just need to work this out. And uh, we want, by the way, What we want, what we're offering, we're not offering just a wedding. What we want is complete amalgamation with you guys. And by the way, um, it's chapter 35, I think, 35 that says, no, it's 33, that says this is the land of the Canaanites. That is, God's people are living in the land of the Canaanites and they're not supposed to be there. And here's what we want. We just want to be one with you people. You know, you take our daughters, we take your daughters. You take our sons, we take your sons. We just want to, we just want to be one big happy family with you guys. And yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want us to do that little ritual thing that y'all do, what's that called? Circumcision. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you want us to do? Is that all we have to do to become a part of the Jacob's family? I mean, is that all it takes? Well, never happens. Thanks. Let's get with it. I mean, if if you get a shortcut to the promised land and we get to become a part of the covenant of people of God. And all we got to do is do that little thing y'all do. It's kind of weird, but, you know, uh, if that's all you want us to do. Then golly, you know, we'll we'll do that in a heartbeat. So let's just I'll sit down at this negotiating table here, and then I we'll offer a little bit of this, and you offer a little bit of that, and, uh, and the end product will be, we'll be just one big happy family. We want to become sons of Jacob by observing all of y'all's rituals. And that ain't the way it works. The 24th century version of that, ladies and gentlemen, goes something like this. Oh, yeah, yeah. We want to be really religious folk and we want to go to heaven like you, uh, like you Christian people going, you know, we want to be. And so what is it that y'all do? Oh, you want me to be baptized? Oh, I'll do that. No problem. You want me to go through the new members class? Sure enough. I'll be right there next Sunday. How about that, that confirmation class? Oh, you want me to do a little church work? Do you? I'll be, I'll volunteer all you want me to. I'll sing in the choir, teach a Sunday school class. I mean, that's all I need because I want to be a part of you people and become one of y'all. And I'll do all that stuff you want me to do. (laughs) Gang. That ain't Christianity and neither is this. Jumping through all the church hoops that you ultimately use so that you can barter with God. You know, I did do that, and I did do that, and I did do the other, and I did all that, and I did some of this too. And now, you owe me. Gang, heaven is not bought. It's not bartered for. It's not negotiated. It's not earned. It is free. Everything that God gives, we get it by way of gift, not negotiation, not bartering, not doing the church stuff. Because, oh, my dear friends, and you must see this, you must, must, must see this. Christianity is not something that is done from the outside in. It's done from the inside out. Christianity is wanting and having the person of the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. There's not a piece of bartering to it in fact. There's nothing that you bring to the negotiation table except your sin. That's all you got. That's all we got. That's all we got to offer, ladies and gentlemen, is our sin. And what we get is everlasting life as a gift. Have you received the gift Eternal life. Our Father, I do pray that you will use this rather unseemly story and impress it again upon our souls. The, the, that simple message that that you say over and over and over again that to be a part of this family is not accomplished by human effort. Ritual observance. It's accomplished by laying claim, by laying hold of the crucified Christ and crying out for mercy. Oh God, what we want is not fairness. We're not asking you to be fair with us because we'll all perish. What we want is mercy. Mercy and grace. If we don't get those, our situation is hopeless. But the Lord Jesus promised that all who will come to him, he will by no means cast out. So, Father, if there are those in this room who have never yet laid hold of that Savior, Make it possible now. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name and for His sake.